So, uh, we're continuing this series of these pre-Chag uh, Shiurim. Hopefully, we'll be able to fit one more in uh, before Shemini Atzeret. And then, uh, if possible, we can make it a uh, weekly a weekly uh, gathering. I hope we can. Uh, maybe on a different day. It doesn't have to be uh, Sunday night. But uh, that, was, that was to accommodate the, uh, the Chagim for both of us. For both for both sides of the ocean, uh, hopefully Bezrat Hashem, we can do it. Uh, we can do it regularly. Have a weekly uh, a weekly Zoom shiur. I hope so. Uh, as we move forward into the uh, regular year, and we're not uh, amidst the chagim anymore. What really I wanted to talk about uh, was something that I myself was was thinking about, and uh, I find that oftentimes if. Uh, if I speak about something that I was thinking about, it's more interesting because I'm interested in the topic because uh, it's something that I've been uh, focusing on and hopefully you'll find it interesting too. And the issue or the topic that uh, has been occupying my thought is the topic of Simchat Yom Tov, which is the mitzvah to rejoice on the holidays. And this mitzvah is especially emphasized in the context of Sukkot, so it's particularly appropriate to the holiday that is just uh, coming up. And uh, we know that uh, it, that the, the Torah emphasizes when it comes to Sukkot, you're supposed to be especially uh, especially happy and uh, particularly uh, it's a particularly celebratory time. The Mishnah and the Gemara talk about the uh, the extent of the uh, rejoicing on on Sukkot in the times of the Bet Hamikdash was beyond anything that you would ever see in your life. So there was an intensity uh, to the um, to the celebration of, of Sukkot that surpassed even the, uh, even the celebration and the rejoicing that you found on other Chagim. And that's really alluded to in the Torah when it speaks in, in very emphatic terms about rejoicing on Sukkot, even beyond uh, the other holidays. Uh, in the end, for example, of, uh, we find, for example, in the end of, uh, of uh, Parashat Re'eh, uh, where it speaks about the holidays and lists them, the very famous pasuk, appears actually in the context of, uh, of Sukkot. And uh, you should be thoroughly happy. So one of the questions that I'm wondering about, uh, one of the questions that was occupying me uh, is the nature of this mitzvah to, uh, to be happy on the holidays. And uh, the Rambam actually codifies this mitzvah in the Mishneh Torah. He says uh, that all of the days of uh, the Chagim, Shivat Yemei HaPesach, Shmonat Yemei HaChag, Imshar Yamim Tovim, all of the days of the holiday uh, of Pesach, of, of Sukkot, as well as the other holidays, which includes Shavuot and so on. He says all of them you have to have. He says a person needs to be uh, happy. He says... Um, a person needs to be happy and in a good mood. Not only that, his entire family should be in a good mood. You, your son, your daughter, your servants, even though we usually understand that the simcha that's being referred to here in the Torah is the bringing of korbanot, of korban shlamim, kamo shanom varim, as he explains elsewhere, this also includes a mitzvah to, to make everyone happy in the family. And then he gives examples. He says, for the children, we give them treats. 
For the ladies, we give them gifts. For the men, ochlim basar v'shotin yayin. They eat meat and they drink wine. She'en simchada basar ben simchada bayayin. Because there's no joy without meat and without wine. And when he eats and drinks, chayav l'achir l'agir l'yatom v'l'almana. He has to share with the converts, the uh, widow, the orphan. Im sharan yima amrelim. With all of the other unfortunate souls that are around. But if you close your doors and you eat and drink without sharing it with those who are in need, he eats just by himself. So the This is not a, a, a rejoicing of uh, a mitzvah, but it's a rejoicing of his stomach. And he says, this simcha is an embarrassment. And then he goes on to say, even though a person, well, we'll get to this more, but um, he speaks about not drinking too much. He says, A person shouldn't think that the more he drinks, the more he's doing a mitzvah on the holiday. Because being drunk and going crazy, joking around too much, it's not real joy, it's silliness and nonsense. We weren't commanded to be crazy and silly and foolish on the holiday. We were commanded to have a joy that involves service of the Creator. As it says, like it says, because you did not, when it's talking about the negative, it says, Hashem will, will hold you accountable if you don't serve Him with a good heart and joy. That, that shows you that uh, service of Hashem has to be in joy. And you can't serve God when you're drunk or you're being silly uh, or you are, you know, you're in a state of mind that's not conducive. So what I thought was interesting is that... Uh, just right off the bat, first of all, of course, we have the question of how can you give a command? How can you commend somebody to be happy? How is it possible to make a mitzvah uh, that, that, that a person should be happy? Uh, whether you're happy or sad, sometimes it's not in your control. It could be the result of circumstances in your life that bring you down or bring you up. Uh, it's not so, uh, it's not so uh, self-evident that a person should easily be able to... Uh, uh, to, to rejoice, and you'll notice that the uh, that the, the the halacha specifies particular actions that are to be taken in in to be happy. It doesn't say, but it, it tells us a person has to be samech v'tovlevi has to be in a good mood and happy. But then it gives you particular ways of doing that: eating meat and drinking wine, giving gifts, giving treats to kids, and so on. So as always, the halacha gives a, uh, a goal. The goal is to be happy psychologically, mentally to be happy, but it gives means of achieving the goal, which are, uh, you know, involve doing certain activities that are supposed to be conducive to, uh, conducive to, uh, uh, to joy and to happiness. So the question is, uh, uh, first of all, how can the Torah legislate a, an emotional state? I mean, if a person, let's say, eats meat and drinks wine, but he feels sad, uh, did he fulfill the mitzvah? Of, uh, of rejoicing on the holiday. It sounds like no, even though he went through the motions of doing these actions, if he's still not it sounds like he wouldn't have fulfilled the mitzvah fully. He has to be in a state of joy. So how can a person, how can you legislate 
a state of joy? That's, that's the first question that, that I, I want to try to understand the answer to. The other, the other question that, that, I, uh, that I wanted to, were really two questions that I was uh, thinking about, is number one, meat plays a very large role in, uh, in the halachot of, uh, of rejoicing on the holiday. Like the Rambam mentions here, that the main mitzvah of simcha, is the eating of the meat of sacrifices in the times of the Beit HaMikdash. There's even a debate among the rabbis whether there is such a thing, whether there's such a phenomenon as uh, an obligation to eat meat on the holidays nowadays. Because nowadays, uh, we don't see that there is, uh, there's no obviously any korban, there's no korban uh, of a holiday that you eat the meat and you fulfill the mitzvah of the korban. So there's a debate among the early rabbis. The Rambam actually comes down on the side that yes, there still is a mitzvah to eat the meat, to eat meat on the Yom Tov. There's some who say no. The question that always I wondered about is why meat is so important in the context of, uh, of joy and celebration in terms of halacha, why it's quantified as, uh, why it's expressed in the eating of meat. That's, that's one question. That I, that I had. Another question that I would like to answer, and here's a little bit of a dilemma. We know right, that everybody agrees you're supposed to drink wine on the holiday. And even nowadays when we don't have the Beit HaMikdash, everybody agrees, even those who say that the meat requirement doesn't apply when there's no Beit HaMikdash and you're not bringing korbanot, there's no requirement specifically to have meat on the holiday. But uh, we still try to have meat on the holiday. We try to fulfill the opinion that you do need meat. But... It's a debate, but nobody debates about wine. Everybody says wine you have to have. Even the views that say that you don't have meat say you have wine. So the question that, I, that, that, that presents itself is an interesting question. We just, we just read that the Rambam says that the drinking of wine on the holiday, as long as it's not an excess, as long as it's not too much, the drinking of the wine on the holiday is conducive to rejoicing on the holiday. He shouldn't drink too much. He shouldn't go to the state of drunkenness and silliness and misbehavior and, uh, and uh, what's called kalut rosh, being lightheaded and so on, that he shouldn't, but he should drink. Now, the, the interesting thing is that if you look at the other paradigm that we have of avodat Hashem, if you look at the example, the prime example of service of Hashem, actually there are two examples of this, but I'll start with the one that's the most obvious, the one that's written in the Torah, a kohen who comes into the Beit HaMikdash is not allowed to have any wine at all. Even a small amount, a relatively small amount of wine, or if you eat, let's say, small amount of wine, uh, you know, a few ounces of wine, he's not allowed to, less than a few, he's not allowed to enter the Beit HaMikdash to serve. And if he does, it's a very serious punishment. Death by the hands of heaven. He's, he's, he's considered liable for, for uh, the death penalty. Not that we execute him, but he's liable uh, in, the, in the eyes of God for going in in a state of drunkenness. And in the, even one of the interpretations of the uh, Midrash as to what the sin of Nadav and Avihu was is that they were drinking before they went into the Beit HaMikdash. So, uh, into the Mishkan, rather. So, <coughs> drinking wine is totally contradictory to going into the Beit HaMikdash uh, to serve, even a small amount of wine. Not only that, why don't we have Birkat Kohanim at Mincha? Why don't we have Birkat Kohanim? Why we have Birkat Kohanim in Shacharit every day, anytime there's a Musaf, even at Neilan Yom Kippur we have Birkat Kohanim, but never at Mincha. What's the reason why not at Mincha? Because people in those days drank wine uh, as part of their meal in the afternoon, 
And there was a concern that a person comes to Mincha and they've drunk even a little bit of wine. The Kohen has had a little bit of wine with his lunch and he's going to get up and do Birkat Kohanim. And a Kohen is not allowed to do Birkat Kohanim even with a small amount of wine in the system because it's considered one of the, one of the services of the Beit HaMikdash. The, the Birkat Kohanim was done in the Beit HaMikdash. It's considered Avodah, a service of the Beit HaMikdash and therefore it's prohibited to a Kohen uh, to do Birkat Kohanim even if he has had a little bit of wine. So there you see a very strange thing that the Kohen who's doing the avodah par excellence, you could say, uh, of serving Hashem in the Beit HaMikdash is not allowed to have even a small amount of wine because it's considered totally contradictory and a terrible sin for him to have even the smallest amount of wine and then go serve Hashem. On the other hand, when it comes to Yom Tov, we say no, as long as the wine drinking is in moderation. This is called, in the language of the Rambam, he uses the word, Simcha sheyesh ba avodat yotzer akol. This is considered joy that has an element of divine service in it. Sheyesh ba avodat. In other words, the person, as long as he's not drunk, as long as he's still possessed of his faculties, we would say, he's allowed to drink wine and it's considered an honor to God that he's having meat and drinking wine at the Yom Tov table. So why is it in the context of Yom Tov, we say that wine drinking is part of the rejoicing in the, in the presence of God. And a Kohen wants to get a, have a little uh, a drink before he goes into the Beit HaMikdash and say, look, I want to fulfill Ivdu et Hashem b'simcha. The Kohanim are supposed to be happy and joyous in their service. That's why one of the reasons given for why Kohanim don't mourn. They don't, well, that, it's a, there's a discussion whether they just don't go to the funeral or they also don't even, even mourn. Uh, the Kohen Gadol, Gadol, according to some, doesn't even, doesn't even mourn. But the, uh, but the idea is that they're supposed to show they don't get involved in matters of death. They, they, they're supposed to always, they have these beautiful regal uh, clothing that uh, expresses their, uh, you know, is supposed to put them on a pedestal. And we see, wow, they're, they're, so, uh, they're so happy and they're so, uh, uh, they're so fulfilled and they're such examples of what it means to give all of your uh, energy to Avodat Hashem. What's the, uh, what's wrong with the, so, and they're not allowed to have even the smallest amount of drink. Why would the ultimate examples of serving Hashem and joy not be able to have drink, but we're allowed to have drink or we have a mitzvah to have drink and that's still considered serving Hashem with joy. It's a strange thing. Seems contradictory. In fact, the Gemara tells us that, that, that well, the halakha is in fact that we learned that this mitzvah of not drinking before one goes into the, uh, a Kohen goes to serve in the Beit HaMikdash even applies to drinking and then teaching Torah if a person is teaching halakha, giving a ruling of halakha. The rule is, that a person giving a ruling of halakha, even if he had a small amount of wine, is not allowed to do so. And it's, it comes under the same prohibition because when it describes the functions of the Kohen, it talks about his service in the Beit HaMikdash and then it talks about that he instructs them in halakha. So the rule is that one is not allowed to, uh, uh, to instruct in matters of halakha, to give answers on halakhic questions and so on without having, uh, if, if one has had rather any alcohol in their system. And in fact, the Gemara even talks about how certain rabbis wouldn't answer questions in the afternoon of Yom Tov because they had wine. So the question is, how could it be that wine on one hand is considered to be an element of the beautiful Simchav Yom Tov, and on the other hand, it's considered to be totally contradictory to, be, to standing before Hashem, totally contradictory to serving Hashem. Which is it? So this question was bothering me a lot. And... Um, one last thing that I want to share with you, and this is something that actually, uh, it's a famous story. It's a story that uh, goes to the heart of uh, the issue of, of rejoicing on Yom Tov. 
And it happens to be that we just touched on it in the Dafyomi not long ago. So uh, those who are listening, who are in the Dafyomi or who follow it, would uh, recognize the story. It's from Masechet Betzah. It's from the very beginning of the second chapter of Masechet Betzah in the Talmud Bavli. I want to share with you uh, this brief story. I'm going to read it out of the text so that we get it right. Tanura Banan. The rabbi said the following story. Masebe Rabbi Eliezer. There was a story about Rabbi Eliezer. That one time he was teaching on the, on the Yom Tov. Shaya Yoshev V'doresh Kol Ayom Kolob Elchot Yom Tov. He was giving a drasha, a shiur, he was giving a class on Yom Tov. Literally, it was on the day of Yom Tov, and it was on the topic of Yom Tov. And he was going on and on and on all day long. Finally, some people got restless, and they started to leave. The first group of, of his students, or of the attendees at the shiur, said, you know what, we've had enough, we're going to have lunch. He said, these people must have very, very large containers of wine at home. They're going home to drink. Then, Kachniya, second group left, Amar Alalu Bale Chaviyot. Kachlishit, Amar Alalu Bale Kadi. Kachviit, Amar Alalu Bale Laginit. Kachamishit, Amar Alalu Bale Kosot. So each time a group would leave, he would comment on them. He would say, oh, this group, first group, had very large containers of wine. Second group, a little bit smaller. Third group, a little bit smaller. Fourth group, a little bit smaller. Fifth group, they have only cups of wine. That's why they waited so long. The sixth group finally, He said, these people are cursed people. Why did he say that about the sixth group? The sixth group was taken aback. The students thought he was referring to them, to the sixth group that had waited so long. And he said, so he said, no, I'm not talking about you guys. You guys are the ones who stayed practically to the end of the shiur. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those who left before. The people who left before abandoned eternal life of learning Torah and they went after the momentary of eating and drinking at their meals of Yom Tov. At the end, at the end of the shiur, he finally said, go home, eat sweet things. And drink delicious things. And send gifts to whoever doesn't have food. And he says, and he's quoting a pasuk as a pasuk actually from the book of Ezra Nehemiah. And he says, It is a holy day for Hashem. Don't be sad. Because the joy that you have in Hashem is your strength. Now, the, the question is, what did Rabbi Eliezer think about Simchat Yom Tov? It's a little contradictory because he starts out by saying, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. And in the end, he tells everybody to go and eat and drink. The Gemara asks, how could it be that he told people not to go eat and drink on the holiday? Isn't eating and drinking on the holiday a mitzvah? Don't we all know that you're supposed to have a meal on the holiday? It said, this is the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. Because he says, Simchat Yom Tov Reshut. Whether you eat and drink on the holiday is not a mitzvah. You can do it whether you, if you want to or you don't want to. Because he says, Ditanya, Rabbi Eliezer, According to Rabbi Eliezer, you have two choices on every holiday. <coughs> you can either sit and learn all day, or you can eat and drink all day. However, Rabbi Yoshua said, According to Rabbi Yoshua, you have to divide the day. Part of it, half of it goes to Hashem, half of it goes to your enjoyment. So you have to do both. Right? And then it goes on to explain where they get this from. They get this from the pasuk. One pasuk describes the holiday as lachem, it's for you. 
One pasuk describes the holidays as Lashem. So according to Rabbi Eliezer, it's two choices. Either you do Lashem, you, 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 uh, either you, uh, you devote your day, your time, to Hashem. Or you devote your day, Lachem, to the, the eating and drinking part, without the learning part. And Rabbi Yoshua says, no, 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 you have to have both. You half of the time learn, half of the time eat and drink. And that's actually what the Halacha is. The Rambam says, even though eating and drinking is a, is a mitzvah on the holiday, <clears throat> you don't eat and drink all day long. Rather, you do this. You go to synagogue in the morning, and, and you uh, pray, and you read Torah, and then you go home and eat, and then you go to the Beit Midrash, and you eat and you learn, and then you come home and you eat in the afternoon. So he says that there's supposed to be a whole schedule. It's not exactly what we do nowadays, but he has a whole schedule because according to the Rambam, there's Sudash Lishit also on the Yom Tov. So basically, you would go in the morning to early uh, tefillah. You would have tefillah and Torah reading. You would go home and have a, a meal. Then you would go back to learn again. Then you would come home and have the third meal towards the afternoon. And that way, you would have half and half uh, eating and drinking and half and, you know, eating and drinking and learning. But the question that we have, of course, is that these two psukim, Rabbi Yoshua says, look, it makes sense. It, it talks about the holidays being lachem, it's supposed to be for your enjoyment, and it also talks about the holidays being lachem. So you have to have time that's for the spiritual, time that's for the physical, that they both go together. But according to uh, Rabbi Eliezer, it's a little bit more problematic because one person decides to choose, oh, I'm just going to go with the lachem pasuk, I'm going to ignore the lachem pasuk. Lachem pasuk, I don't need it. And then the other person says, no, I'm going to take the lachem. It's for me. I'm going to eat and drink. The learning thing, psh, I, I don't need that. How could it be that one pasuk we take and one pasuk we ignore, and the whole mitzvah that the Torah tells you of simchat yom tov, it goes by the wayside. Rejoicing on the yom tov, it doesn't exist then. Moreover, of course, there's a technical problem with Rabbi Eliezer because at the end of the shiur, he tells the people to go eat and drink and celebrate and be merry, even though he just said that he doesn't require anybody to eat and drink. He says they could learn all day long and not eat and drink. So obviously he doesn't think, in other words, to clarify, he doesn't think you have to fast on the Yom Tov. What he means is that your main occupation has to be one or the other. He doesn't mean literally you cannot eat or drink on the holiday. And in fact, he says that when you eat and drink, it's supposed to be good. <clears throat> what he means to say is that, when you, that it, you have to pick one main occupation. Either it should be a spiritual day or it should primarily be a physical day. But it shouldn't be half and half like Rabbi Yoshua says that you satisfy both. So I would like to get to the bottom of this, what's going on between Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Eliezer. And I think if we understand what problem they're dealing with, we can maybe answer all the questions that we asked up till now. About the role of wine, about the role of meat, about, the, uh, about the, uh, how exactly it works that we can be commanded to uh, rejoice on the holiday. But there's one last source that I just want to bring to your attention before we do that. And that's the source that the Rambam brings at the end of the Halachot of Sukkah. The Rambam says at the end of Halachot of Sukkah, very, another very famous uh, uh, paragraph taken from the Rambam. He says, even though that simcha, simcha sheyismach adam basiyat mitzvot, this is after he describes the crazy celebrations that they had on Sukkot uh, in the Beit HaMikdash. He says, even the simcha that a person rejoices, basiyat mitzvah, that a person, the joy that a person has in doing the mitzvot and serving Hashem, and the love of Hashem, it is a great service, meaning the joy itself is a service to God. Anybody who holds himself back from this joy, he should be punished. And he quotes a pasuk for that. And anybody who assigns too much honor to themselves and says they won't do it. And he says, I'm too, uh, I'm too cool to uh, dance on Simchat Torah. I, 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 I'm too, uh, I'm too uh, my honor is too great to lower myself. 
he's a fool and a, a sinner and a fool. And, and that's why, and anybody who lowers himself and humbles himself, he is the true great person. And that's why we see David Melech when the Aaron came to Yerushalayim, was dancing like crazy, and he embarrassed himself, so to speak, because his wife, Michal, was very upset that he behaved in a way that was uh, unbecoming of a king. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's the, uh, the Rambam describes it as avodah. It's a service. And he describes this conflict that a person will have between their own honor and their own sense of importance and the simcha that they are supposed to have in the avodah Hashem. I think from that we can understand what really simcha is. What is really simcha? I've talked about it before in other contexts. I've talked about it before in other learning. So you may have heard this one point before, but what's the difference between simcha a person who's happy and a person who's unhappy. A person who's depressed and a person who is happy. What is the basic difference? What's the fundamental difference in their mental state? The fundamental difference is that one is turned inward and one is turned outward. If you think about a depressed person, the symptoms of depression, they can't enjoy their life, they can't enjoy their food, they can't enjoy their work, they don't want to go out, they don't want to interact with other people, they don't want to talk, they, can't, they see beautiful scenery, it doesn't look beautiful to them. When a person is down, they don't look at anything, they don't see anything, they don't engage, they're in their own emotions, they're in their own world. That's what he's saying when, it, when he says that, uh, that it's avodah, that a person has to work on this. In other words, a person can be preoccupied with their own concerns and their own anxieties and their own frustrations. But for a person to be happy, they have to look beyond themselves. When a person feels satisfied and they feel good, when they're not preoccupied with uh, any uh, anxieties or any uh, uh, preoccupations that are bringing them down or making them focus inward, then they're able actually to engage with what's going on around them. And anyone who's been in a situation like that, where they feel down, they feel sad, and uh, then they have to go to a, a party, they have to go to a wedding, they have to make as if, so as if they're in a good mood, Sometimes they're able to do it. Sometimes they're not and they don't go or they leave early because they can't handle it. Um, that's the difference between sadness or depression and happiness. Sadness is always something that's turned inwards and happiness allows us to engage with what's going on around us, whether it's intellectual, spiritual, physical, whatever it might be. And, uh, and that's, the, uh, that's the key. The key is the ability to uh, rise above the temptation to focus on the self. And I think that's why the Rambam uses this example of somebody who is uh, focused on themselves and therefore cannot allow themselves to celebrate. Now, when we think of it that way, so uh, what is the avodah? The avodah is to be able to turn one's energy, to be able to direct one's energy towards, the, uh, uh, towards something higher than themselves. And uh, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? Well, one way that we try to lift the person out of, uh, of their uh, state is, of course, the Rambam gives all these examples of what we do for Simchat Yom Tov. We give gifts to the kids. We give treats to the kids, gifts to our spouses and so on. And this is to try to lift them up out of whatever uh, state of sadness they're in and give them, a, uh, give them a push towards being able to have that state of mind that's more conducive to serving Hashem. The uh, uh, eating meat and drinking wine, and here's what's really interesting about it. There's, and and this, is what, this is a distinction I'd like to introduce, a distinction I would like to suggest, that there's, there's really two kinds of simcha that we have, okay? Putting aside sadness. Sadness, of course, and that's why, by the way, a navi, a prophet who is sad, cannot get nevoah. 
he cannot have prophecy because it's a prophet who is sad and, and absorbed in his own uh, frustrations or his own, uh, his own dissatisfactions. It doesn't have the open heart and the open mind to have prophecy. He's not going to be able to have prophecy, that, that, that Navi. In fact, the Rambam even writes that the reason why we can't have prophecy today is because any per- person who reached the level of prophecy would then look at the disastrous state of the Jewish people and the world today and would be too sad with the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash and everything else to be able to receive prophecy. It would be too sad. So sadness is contradictory to being able to... Uh, receive the divine presence because it's, again, a turning inward instead of outward. But there are really two kinds of joy. And this is one, one thing that I wanted to, uh, to suggest that might help us better understand the mitzvah of rejoicing on the holiday. There are two kinds of joy. There's a joy that a person has that's intrinsic to an activity. In other words, when you're engaged with something that is so exciting and so enjoyable and so satisfying, you don't have to rejoice separately from the activity itself because the activity itself is so fulfilling. It's so enjoyable. It makes you feel alive. It makes you feel inspired. There's no external thing that you need to come in and give you a kickstart because you simply naturally derive such great satisfaction uh, and gratification from the experience. That's intrinsic joy. But there's also something that I would call extrinsic joy, which means a person, you, sometimes what you're doing is you're not in the activity, but you're celebrating something with, uh, in a, which is not the same. In other words, you're not in the activity itself that you're celebrating. You're celebrating, you could say, about it, about it. For example, when a person learns and they accomplish something, they study and they learn and they complete a course of learning, and then they have a siyum. And at the siyum, they invite people and they have meat and wine and they're celebrating. That celebrating is separate and apart from the enjoyment of the learning. Hopefully, they enjoyed the learning tremendously in its own right. It was so fulfilling. It was so exciting. They weren't thinking about eating and drinking when they were learning. That comes at the end. But then you celebrate the accomplishment. Celebrating the accomplishment says something about what that accomplishment means to you. It's basically bringing your heart and your body in line with what your mind and your soul already know. Your mind and your soul know that this learning was so fulfilling and so wonderful. The siyum is a way to demonstrate to your, to your feelings, to your body, to other people who maybe didn't participate in the learning, how special, how exciting, how wonderful it is to make strides in personal growth and in understanding of Torah it's translating it into the language of food and drink. It's like when you go to, I'll give you a uh, mashal, give you an analogy. You go to a wedding, no, but hopefully, hopefully, nobody at a wedding is happier than the chatan and kala, the bride and the groom that are getting married, okay? They are the happiest. They don't need actually the food. They don't actually need the drinking. They might not even really need the dancing. They might not need a lot of the things that, that are there at the wedding. So why then do we have a party with meat and wine and, and dancing and all of these other things? We do it for the participants that they should, they're demonstrating through their action that they have put aside whatever they're doing to celebrate the union of this chatan and kala. They've come there dressed up nicely, eating and drinking, celebrating, taking their minds off of their troubles to 
emphasize what a joyous thing, what a significant thing, what a special, positive, meaningful thing it is that this couple is joining together in, uh, you know, in wedlock. That's the idea of the eating and drinking. See, so that illustrates to you also the difference between celebrating something which is extrinsic to the thing itself. You're not getting married at the wedding, right? So you're celebrating the, the, uh, the event of the bride and groom getting married as opposed to the bride and groom themselves, that the joy is intrinsic to their experience. It's what's happening to them in the moment that is the source of joy, not something which is um, external to their immediate experience. When you go to a wedding, you're going because you're celebrating somebody else's really le- milestone. You're happy for them and you recognize what a wonderful occasion it is, but it's not intrinsic joy. The joy for you is in the participation and the celebration of this event in the life of somebody else. So the, if you look at it that way, you can understand maybe the difference between eating and drinking on the holiday and the spiritual side of the holiday, the learning on the holiday. For the person, when a person's learning or they're praying on the holiday, that's supposed to be the avodat Hashem itself. That's the intrinsic connection to the meaning of the holiday, the relationship with Hashem that is symbolized by the chagim. That's, you're immersing yourself in that. And that's an intrinsic source of joy on the holiday. When you eat and you drink, the eating and drinking is celebrating the significance of the, uh, uh, and, and reflecting upon the significance of that relationship and how wonderful it is that we have the zechut to have that relationship and how we've put aside everything else, all the distractions and all the things that bring us down and that, uh, and that, uh, and that would otherwise uh, prevent us from fully appreciating how fortunate we are. We're putting that aside to celebrate this day as a special day. That's the, that's the eating and the drinking on the holiday. And I think if we understand that, we can then understand why when it comes to Kohanim, they cannot have even a drop of wine uh, if they're going to go into the Beit HaMikdash. But when we celebrate on the, on the holidays, we do have wine. What's the difference? Because when, uh, and, and when they're learning, when they were learning, they weren't supposed to have wine because that would cause the learning to be, uh, be ruined. It would cause the learning to be unclear. It would cause the learning to be distorted. But after the learning, when they went to eat, they would drink. What does that show you? In the intrinsic service of God, when the Kohanim are doing their mitzvot of standing before God and serving God, fulfilling the mitzvot, when we are fulfilling the mitzvot of learning or praying, you don't drink before you pray. You're not supposed to. That's another I should have mentioned. That's another case. We're also not allowed to drink uh, alcohol and then go pray. Not supposed to drink and then go pray. Whenever you're coming to stand before God, that is the source of the joy. You don't use wine to achieve that. You use, that's something that speaks to the mind and soul that's intrinsically satisfying. But when you celebrate the relationship that you have with God, not when you're in the relationship itself, not at that moment that you're engaged with the spiritual and the intellectual depths of that relationship, but when you're reflecting upon the relationship and its significance and you're celebrating it, then you bring the meat and wine because the wine is what allows you to forget your troubles, to forget about the, uh, it, it relaxes you, it takes things off your mind so that you can reflect upon how appreciative you are that you have that relationship with Hashem. The meat, of course, meat is a food that we know is, uh, is, a, uh, ha- is a luxury food. 
Meat is something which demonstrates luxury. It demonstrates a certain, it's a sense of the significance of the occasion. If you, you would go to a wedding and see that all they served was salad, you would say, you know, what kind, of, uh, what kind of a wedding is this? What kind of a banquet is this? A banquet always has meat because meat is a, is a sign of luxury. It's a sign of a certain uh, uh, wealth, superiority, luxury, blessing. It's a sign of the significance of the occasion, really, more than anything else. And that's why it gives a person a feeling of, it's not the physical satisfaction of the meat that, uh, it's the psychological and the social significance of the meat that it's a demonstration of luxury. It's a demonstration of class that you have, you know, that you're that, of nobility, that you're partaking of meat at the meal. Uh, it, it demonstrates the, the importance of the occasion uh, from that perspective. That's why meat is always a sign of, uh, you know, of uh, luxuriousness. Banquets always have meat. Weddings always have meat. I'm not talking about nowadays they have vegans. They probably don't have that. But I'm saying typically, historically, that was always the case because it's a sign of the importance of the meal. It's a sign of the, of, uh, uh, that, we are, uh, that we're celebrating an extremely significant occasion. And, uh, and, and meat eating is something which demonstrates our wealth, because it always required, uh, you know, the acquisition of the meat, but it also demonstrates the uh, nobility of human beings that they're partaking of life forms that are, so to speak, lower than them. So it's a, there's a certain kavod in eating meat. I'm not necessarily saying everybody should be a carnivore all the time. That's up to you. Uh, but the idea is that that's what it signifies to people. It signifies importance. It signifies nobility. It signifies uh, the uh, the significance of, it indicates the significance of the occasion when you have meat involved as opposed to uh, dairy or, or or vegetables. So the when you have a banquet, basically on the Yom Tov, what you're doing is you're celebrating the relationship with Hashem. That isn't the relationship itself. That's a celebration of the relationship. It's like when you go out to celebrate an anniversary, that the, the anniversary dinner is not the, uh, is not the relationship. You're celebrating the relationship by taking time out to note how significant it is. And, and by having some drink, you also relax yourself and you're able to focus on that without your uh, other distractions interfering. So if we look at the Yom Tov as structured in this way, we can now maybe understand where Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua are in conflict with one another. Rabbi Eliezer basically says, look, there's two forms of joy. See, it's not that Rabbi Eliezer discounts the idea of joy on the holiday. He's just separate. He's saying, look, there's two paths to joy on the holiday. There's something called Lashem. There's something called Lachem. There's something called For Hashem, meaning the relationship itself between you and Hashem, the actual active relationship that expresses itself in the service of God itself, which is in the learning, in praying, that's Lashem, that's the real thing. That type of joy is intrinsic. There's also the celebration of Yom Tov. Celebration of Yom Tov is accessible to the person, to everyone also. It's the eating and the drinking. Now, if you have a choice, that what Rabbi Eliezer is saying is you have a choice. Do you want to, are you on the level where you're going to have a pure intrinsic joy of Avodat Hashem? Or are you one of the people that they can't really relate to that, but they can celebrate the blessing of being part of the Jewish people. Ashrecha Yisrael, how fortunate you are, the Jewish people, that you have a relationship with Hashem. And they'll celebrate that relationship with Hashem. They celebrate the fact, Matov that we're so fortunate that we're members of the Jewish people. Similar to what it says in the Tefillah of Shabbat, where it says, Those who 
observe Shabbat and call Shabbat delightful, Yismechu v'malchutach, they celebrate in the kingship of Hashem, meaning their celebration on Shabbat is related to their relationship with Hashem. Right? But then it says, Am The nation that sanctifies Shabbat, they are satisfied from the goodness that you give them. In other words, the regular ordinary person on Shabbat doesn't have the same experience. They honor Shabbat and they, they, they recognize Shabbat and they, they appreciate the goodness that Shabbat brings into their life, but they're not on the same level as the person who's rejoicing is a rejoicing in Hashem, in their knowledge of Hashem, that they attain clarity on Shabbat. So in the same way, what Rabbi Eliezer is pointing out when it comes to the Yom Tov, one person sits and they learn about the holiday in depth and that's their joy, the learning about the holiday, the learning, the deep understanding, the tefillah, that is the relationship. That is where the simcha comes from. Celebrating, eating and drinking, that's celebrating about the relationship. It's not the relationship itself. And therefore he says, you can choose one or the other. So he said to his students, you guys are on a high level. Why would a person on a high level who has the ability to partake of the relationship itself, why would that person want to go and, uh, and have the secondary level, the second tier kind of a uh, rejoicing on the holiday about the relationship instead of being immersed in the relationship. And that's what Rabbi Eliezer is telling us. So he says that there are really two paths to joy and these two paths are dependent on the level of the person. Some people will experience lachem, the, the rejoicing that they are a member of the Jewish people and rejoicing that they have a relationship with Hashem and that's as far as it's going to go. And, and of course, maybe they'll learn a little bit. Of course, they're going to pray a little bit. But their primary mode of expressing joy is going to be celebrating about the relationship that they have with Hashem. And then there are those for whom the primary mode of expression is going to be Lashem, is going to be the relationship itself. So according to him, it's two different paths of achieving joy on the holiday. What primarily spiritual or primarily physical. Whereas Rabbi Yehoshua comes along and says, no, that's not how it works. There's going to be a balance. What we're going to do is we're going to have half. In other words, they're both true for every individual. It's not that there are two ideas and one path is for a certain group and one path is for another group and you choose your path. And either one, in other words, they're both there. They're both options and you choose an option. He says, no, it's not two options. It's two requirements on every individual because we're all made up both of a physical and a spiritual element. So we need to nourish both. We nourish our, uh, our relationship with God on the holiday with the learning and with the tefillah and the engagement of the spirit and of the mind on the holiday. And we also nourish our emotional connection to the relationship with God. And we do that through the eating and the drinking and the celebrating together with our families. These two things complement one another. In other words, it's not two paths to making the day a day of joy, either an, a, a primary path or a secondary path. That's not what it is. It's two different aspects of how we as individuals have to relate to the holiday, each individual. So, so, so uh, even the person who's great, even the person who is, a, who is on a high level still is made of uh, flesh and blood. He still needs to eat and drink. He still needs to bring his or her emotions in line with and into contact with the significance of the day. And that's done with eating and drinking. So if you look at it as we need to make this day a day of joy, pick your choice of which way you're going to do it, path A or path B, then that's what Rabbi Eliezer is saying. Rabbi Yoshua is saying, no, it's about uh, identifying the two elements in yourself, not two elements in the day, 
that you get to choose which one you're going to be involved with. But two elements in yourself, both of which need to be addressed, the spiritual and the physical. And that's why the Rambam says, don't eat and drink all day. Rather, this is the schedule, spiritual, physical, spiritual, physical. We balance the two, bring them into harmony with one another through the holiday. Okay, just like the person, look, the person who makes a siyum has very, very, enjoyed the learning that they did tremendously, they enjoyed the learning, but they still enjoy the siyum also, the celebration of the significance of that learning, the celebration of how special that learning is, how much it means, how, how fortunate the person is to be uh, a, a person who learns Torah and who is growing uh, you know, in, in their life, in their inner life. They celebrate that. That's bringing the emotional element in line with the intellectual and the spiritual element. There's no contradiction between the two, but actually it's a complement. They complement one another rather than contradicting. So Rabbi Eliezer has his two paths. Rabbi Yoshua has his two components of each individual's experience. And, uh, and that's, the, uh, that's the way the halacha goes. And if you look to substantiate that, you see that the Rambam, when he talks about the holiday, he says you should drink on the holiday, but not too much, because when you're drunk, that's not, that's not simcha sheyesh ba avodat yotzer kol. It is not a celebration that has in it service of Hashem. Okay, meaning the celebration itself is not service of Hashem, but it has in it service of Hashem. Why? Because the celebration part is celebrating what? What are you celebrating? You're celebrating the relationship with Hashem that you have. You're celebrating how fortunate you are to have this connection to God. That's not the connection itself. In the moments of connection itself, when you're praying, when you're learning, when you're involved spiritually, intellectually with Divrei Torah, you're not drinking. You're not going to be involved in those physical things at that time. But when you're celebrating the significance of the relationship, then we bring in the eating and the drinking. And so I think this helps us. And if you think about it, what's really incredible is that what's the example? What's the ultimate example of simcha with meat, like the Rambam says? It's bringing a korban. Because when you bring a korban, the first stage of bringing the korban would be going to the Beit HaMikdash and offering part of the animal as a korban. The second stage is bringing home whatever's left and eating the meat, and that was your celebration. That's the ultimate example. In other words, one aspect is coming and honoring God. There's no personal involvement in that part. That part is simply bringing honor to God, recognizing God, and engage and standing before God in the Beit HaMikdash. And then the eating and drinking is a celebrating of that relationship. In fact, it's called the Korban Shlamim because it creates peace. In other words, unity between the person and, and Hashem, meaning that's the part where the physical and the emotional uh, of me comes in line with, becomes connected to, becomes inspired by what my mind and my soul uh, grasp when I'm in the Beit HaMikdash. So I don't eat or drink in the Beit HaMikdash, but when I come home and I eat and drink, I'm celebrating that relationship that I've further developed by going to the Beit HaMikdash and getting inspired intellectually and spiritually. So I think this is a way to understand the holiday. If in every holiday, we should see ourselves as hopefully advancing intellectually, spiritually in our relationship with God. There's an intrinsic joy to that. There's an intrinsic satisfaction in that. There's a feeling of growth and of uh, advancement in that, that, it, that provides tremendous satisfaction. At the same time, from the emotional side, from the physical side, there's a social aspect to holidays. There's an emotional aspect to holidays. There's the meat and the wine, the banquet of the holiday that celebrates the significance of the relationship and how fortunate we are that we're on this path of growth. That itself is worthy of a celebration and a banquet. So the celebration and banquet 
takes us away from the things that we normally are thinking about. We're normally preoccupied with emotionally. We're normally psychologically uh, 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 focused on. And it brings our, psycholo- our psyche and our feelings in line with and into the same parasha, so to speak, as our soul and our mind are on the holiday. So Bezrat Hashem, we should all have a happy, healthy holidays. We should have opportunities for spiritual growth and for uh, gain of Torah knowledge, of course, and, and being uplifted and being inspired. But we should also have opportunities to celebrate, to enjoy, to feel blessed that we are part of a nation that serves Hashem and that, that we have the zechut to do mitzvot and, uh, and to serve Hashem. And we shouldn't hold ourselves back from, uh, from that engagement. Like the Rambam says, a person shouldn't abstain from the drinking and abstain from the eating and abstain from the celebrating because he says, oh, wh- why would I want to do that? I'm too, I'm too great for that. No, a person should feel so blessed. They should give their all. They should give their full attention and their full engagement to the celebration of the holiday, both the spiritual and the social and the physical uh, uh, elements. Bezrat Hashem, we should all have a happy holiday. I look forward, Bezrat Hashem, I pray to see all of you here in Eretz Israel soon. Uh, of course, there, uh, I, I will hopefully visit uh, you as well, but I'd, even more joy would be to be able to share with you uh, the beauty of Israel and of course to celebrate the Chagim with you here um, in the future. So I wish everybody a happy holiday. Obviously, I miss everyone. So a little bit of my... Uh, a little bit of my joy is, is going to be missing that I won't be seeing you uh, on the Chagim. So that's, that's what, what's missing for me. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm so happy that we have this way of, of seeing each other. And uh, I hope that, uh, that we'll be reunited very, very soon.